Happy Easter to you all. I know you think I'm a little off there, but it is Easter. We are in the 50 days of Easter. Easter is a 50-day holiday in the church. Did you know that? 50 days. So, Christ is risen. There's an indeed. We should indeed celebrate the resurrection every Sunday we gather, but especially in these 50 days. And our scripture lesson this morning is tied very intimately to the Easter story. It's from the book of Acts, but it takes place in the very immediate time, shortly after the resurrection. And so with that in mind, let us, as Easter people, go to our text today from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Listen for the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word for us, and pray that in this time you might speak to us in a new way. May this time be glorifying to you, almighty God. Amen. Why church? I'm not sure whether my question is asking you why you go to church, or why church exists, or maybe even why we church, using the word as a verb. Why do we do all this? Why do we do it all? And maybe the the underlying question is actually a combination of all of these things. Why are we here on Sunday morning, this morning, or any particular Sunday? When I was a young child, it was a given. We went to church on Sunday. We sat in the balcony always. After church, on the way home, we stopped at the gas station with a few quarters to get the Sunday paper. These were all givens. They just happened every single week. Even my multi-sport playing brother never had sports on Sunday mornings, right? The world has changed so much. Church simply was a part of our lives. I wonder if any of you experienced the same. As I got older, though, church continued to be a regular part of our lives, and I didn't so much love going to youth group when I was in junior high, but I loved teaching Sunday school. It's probably not a surprise, but as a middle schooler, I was there teaching Sunday school. I loved it. I loved helping with VBS, and eventually into high school, participating in youth group, and in college, I kept going to church. At some point, and I'm not quite sure where it was, it stopped being required of me, and it became a choice. I chose to do it. And in many ways, societally, we've become very similar to that, right? 
A generation or two ago, it was assumed, it was presumed that people would be affiliated with a church and attend church pretty regularly. It was part of uh, people's identity, and within the culture, it was just assumed that it would happen. But that presumption has disappeared in a lot of ways in most communities. For most of you here, there is not a social pressure to go to church. There became a choice at some point. So again, why? Why are you here today? Why are you here this morning? Why church? I've become very intrigued by this question. And I wonder if part of it is that you can't ignore the news reports, especially over the past few years, of a national decline in church attendance, especially in mainline churches. While Pinnacle continues to thrive, we see so many churches shrinking and eventually closing. About a year ago, this was a headline in the news. U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time. The article and several other articles presented research from a Gallup survey showing the decline in church membership from 73% of the population in 1937 to under 49% by last year. The declines were across a wide variety of demographics, denominationally, politically, socioeconomically. And Gallup's analysis of the data and subsequent analysis by further researchers and religious sociologists concluded that one of the most compelling reasons for the decline is that more and more people were identifying as having no particular religious preference and no self-identification with any religious belief. So this makes a little bit of logical sense, right? Because absent the social pressure, why would someone join or be a part of a church if they've got no faith connection there? Now, I suspect that some of my pastor friends were actually a little relieved by this news. I think it made them feel less alone. It took the pressure off them as they were watching their own numbers go down. But I guess I'm not quite ready for that surrender yet. When I announced to friends and family several years ago that I was going to change careers and go to seminary, I had one pastor friend give me a perplexed look and ask, why? Why would you do that? The church is dying. You know that, right? And I could hear in him a defeat, but also a confusion that he had. And his confusion and defeat, they're not a surprise. The church, as we know it, has experienced what numbers show to be a decline, and, and maybe some would even say a slow death. But friends, we follow a God who doesn't like death as the end of the story. In fact, we follow a God who breathes new life. It's integral to our understanding of God, a God who is constantly doing a new thing, a God of surprises, a God of wonders, and a God of resurrection, and a God of recreation. This is the God we follow. And the early church knew this. The earliest followers of Jesus, including his mother and his closest friends, they watched Jesus die a cruel death, and they mourned and they wept. Some of them scattered. They found that they were holding what looked like a bad hand of cards, and they folded. Some prayed, some stayed. There was confusion, there was doubt, there was questioning. 
And we don't know a lot of what happened in that immediate time. What we know is that they started to talk about what they experienced in the resurrection. And you see, we follow a God who doesn't like death as the end of the story. And so for these young disciples, for these new disciples, fresh disciples in the wake of the resurrection, even the resurrection wasn't the end of the story. Somehow it was the beginning, the beginning of a new story, a new way, not simply a religion or a church, but a new way of living. As news of the resurrection spread, illegal groups began to form. Groups of followers of this new way who were counter to the culture of the day. They were doing something they weren't allowed to do just by gathering. These were people who chose to be together even under the threat of death. They chose to be together even when the rest of their society had no part of it. They were some small number. They weren't even 4% of the population, much less 49%, right? They were initially this very tiny number and they gathered together and they shared life with one another. Luke, the author of Acts, writes in our text this morning that they were together and had all things in common. They pooled their possessions together, but they also pooled their learning together. They spent their time together, and day by day, they spent this time in the temple. They worshiped and prayed. They ate with one another, and they lived, our text says, in goodwill with one another. Day by day, they shared life with one another. These first believers certainly didn't have all the answers. It would take hundreds of years, in fact, to develop, to even begin to develop the doctrines of what would be called the Christian faith. They, They didn't have all the answers, but they lived life alongside one another. And God and faith became born out of their life in community. They had already learned to pray from Jesus. They prayed for God's kingdom to come on earth. They prayed for daily bread and for forgiveness. And they may not have had formal liturgy, but they began to have writings, letters of encouragement to one another, letters that would become our biblical texts. They had centuries of religious practices and a knowledge of ancient scriptures that guided them. And they were on a journey. They were journeying toward becoming what we would eventually call Christians. When Maya Angelou, the famous poet, author, and activist, was interviewed in 2011, a few years before her death, she said, I'm always amazed when people walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian. I think, already? You've already got it? I'm working at it, she said. You're a Christian already? I love her question because it can reframe how we live our lives. It can reframe how we see our raising of our children in the church. It can reframe how we approach everything that we do as a church each day. Each day as a part of this new thing that God is doing, this new creation. We are each day striving more and more toward becoming a Christian. We're each on this journey, 
a journey as we discover God along the way, with and from one another, with one another pointing us along. And we bring all of who we are to the table. We bring our questions, our fears, our struggles. We bring this through all of the stages of our life and we discover God in our questions. We discover God in our fears. We discover God in our struggles. We discover God with one another as we learn about each other, cry with each other, laugh with each other. God has given us one another on this journey. And God is present in those tears and in that laughter and in all of those meals that you have yet to share with one another. This is why. This is why the church exists. The church exists to help people live together and to love and worship and discover God together. It exists to be a place where we respond to the message of Christ and live in the world as people who are forgiven and redeemed while also mysteriously still preparing for the time when Christ will come again. We do this together. This is what we do as a church in committee meetings, in fellowship groups, serving coffee or ice cream after worship, when we're helping to clean pews. We do this when we host a reception. We do this when we sing in the choir or play bells. We do this when we gather around table for a meal. You all do this when you bring your children to sing in a choir or when you bring your mother to sing for life. We do this when we sit in the memorial garden and miss the person we love the most. We do this when we go to a show with the Amigos group, or attend a women's retreat, or take a pilgrimage with others to the Holy Land. This is who we are. And this is where faith comes, where it's born. We talk a lot about faith formation in the church, and we have programs for youth, for children, for adults. But faith is being formed in all that we do. Faith is being formed when we stand at a door and usher and welcome strangers who become no longer strange. We do this when we teach Sunday school. We even do this when we go bowling with other middle schoolers. We do it when we are the church, when we volunteer for VBS, when we camp out on the green like we did last Friday. Well, some people did last Friday. I went home. Uh, when we sit around a fire and get to know one another long into the night under a sky full of stars, and when we run and we laugh and we play, this is what we do day by day by day by day by day. When we gather for Bible study and break bread with one another, when our men gather at seven in the morning to break donuts at their men's breakfast, and even when we break down in tears on the shoulder of a friend, they by day, Luke writes, they spent much time together. Day by day, they spent much time together and broke bread. The early church gave us the key. They gave us the key to what it means to be a church that thrives and a church that grows and a church that lives into its calling to be a place and a people celebrating new life and resurrection 
every day, day by day by day. The key is found in all of the ways that we create opportunities here at Pinnacle for people to connect with one another and to point one another toward God. There is no such thing as just things. What I mean by that, there's no, oh, it's just choir. It's just handbells. It's just a committee work. You see, all of what we do, if it is worth doing, all of what we do is guiding us ever closer, more and more, to being the church that God desires us to be. The key lies in all of those things that are who we are, because they're all opportunities for us to share ourselves with one another, individuals, each of us, who are created in the image of God. And so when you get to know your neighbor more, when you get to know young people helping them with VBS or with Sunday school, when they get to know you, they get another glimpse of a person created in the image of God. And so we get to know God more when we hear the stories of one another's lives, when we walk with each other. The key is in the people all around you. And so I return to my question, have you ever thought about why the church exists? Our church, or really any church, I can imagine the answers to those quest that question would be as diverse as each one of you and your stories. I've actually heard answers to this question from some of you, and I find that the various answers are both very simple and sometimes quite complex. Some people answer very specifically and personally, sharing how they have felt loved and cared for by people in the church who've walked alongside them during difficult times. Others have said very straightforward, they come to church to grow in their faith. So you see, the reasons are many. Our motivations are diverse. At its core, though, we become part of a church because living a life of faith alone without others on the journey is significantly harder than with others who are simply trying to do the same things that we're doing. Whether it's raising children, adjusting to the empty nest, navigating retirement, or even navigating the perils of middle school, we have other people to journey with together. We have a community with whom we pray and gather to do the mysterious and wonderful work of worship. We are a church. In an age when going to church is less of an obligation and more of a choice, we become like those first ones who gathered to follow the new way. Day by day they gathered and broke bread. Day by day they shared their lives. The key to being church was found in those four things that were in our text and that I've mentioned throughout this sermon. They learned from one another they fellowshiped with one another. They told their stories to one another. They prayed and they broke bread. These first Easter people, day by day, they did these things. We could add to it ourselves, but all we would be doing is expanding on those things. They learned from one another. They went to Bible study. 
They went to Sunday school class. They went to youth group. They went to to, um, men's breakfast. They went to their book club. They learned from one another. They fellowshiped with one another. Think of all the things we do that we might think are just gathering with one another. Or our programs like music and singing. These are the church being the church. They prayed and they broke bread. This is the church, these first Easter people, day by day. And Luke continues. At the very end of our text, Luke writes, And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers. The adding to the numbers didn't come at the beginning, right? What came at the beginning? What came at the beginning was them praying, learning, fellowshipping, breaking bread. Sometimes we we flip that a little bit. Oh, we need to grow. We need more numbers. We need more people in churches across the country or right here. And so we look for the magic to doing that. There's no magic to doing it. There's no magic to increasing the numbers. Because you see, it's the Lord who added to their numbers when they were living lives of faith. It was a beautiful thing when you go back and look at that text. There's no magic solution to turn back the trends that Gallup loves for the headlines. Sure, throughout the U.S., less people are going to church. But we follow a God who doesn't like death as the end of the story. We follow a God of resurrection. And so, friends, may we be ones who live day by day investing ourselves in relationships with others day by day, sharing the stories of our lives, the worries, the joys, the anxieties, the laughter, the honesty of our lives day by day, singing, ringing, learning, walking and talking, and praying day by day. And may the Lord continue to do a new thing in us day by day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.